The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and for this very special episode, I am joined by two co-hosts and a guest. Laura Nash. Shane Kelly, your brother. And joining us from the Bird Note podcast, <gasps> the illustrious Mark Bramhill. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Mark. Always happy to join you all on The Short Game. Thank you. And uh, we are, of course, because because Mark is here, perhaps you could guess we are doing, or perhaps you even looked at your podcast app, we are doing another Bird Week. Yeah, this is kind of like when people call you on the phone and, and it's like, hello, who is it? Yeah, I know you. I know my name showed up on your phone. Uh, you saw the episode title. It's Bird Week. That's right. And if you, uh, if you are somehow new to the short game, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and if you are new, maybe you don't know about Bird Week. This is, uh, this is a tradition that we are attempting to manufacture here on the short game. Have successfully manufactured. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think at this point, I think at this point we can call this a success. Last year, around this same time, although not actually quite a full year ago, uh, we did a Bird Week episode, and then the one before that was way back in, I think, 2016. So uh, there's no set schedule for Bird Week. It's a floating holiday. The third annual-ish Bird Week. (laughs) (laughs) Ish, indeed. Um, But yes, so Bird Week is a week where rather than our typical format of picking a short but interesting video game, uh, playing it and discussing it in a roundtable book club style format, uh, we give you a sort of an assortment, a potpourri of games specifically featuring or about birds. And you'd think that would be a very specific niche. But interestingly, there's always a bunch of games about birds uh, in any given... We're not sticking strictly to games that came out this year or anything, but actually a lot of them are. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of interesting bird games to talk about. Yes, it's a it's a genre, I think, bird games. And as a genre, the bird game seems to overlap surprisingly well with the short game. Don't know why. Maybe it's the flighty nature of our fine feathered friends that translates so well into a uh, brisk and brief experience. We're not necessarily collecting together all of the very best games out there. That's really not the nature of Bird Week. Uh, They're all interesting games, games that there's something to say about. Of course, they're interesting. They're about birds. Absolutely. Very true. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes we do really strike gold with Bird Week. Last year, for instance, uh, we talked about a short hike, which went on to win the Seamus McNally Grand Prize at IGF uh, and was a very well-regarded game. I don't know if we'll quite strike gold that same way this year, uh, but we have an assortment of bird games to talk about. Before we get into them, I wanted to quickly shout out our patrons this show is Patreon supported. Uh, So of course, if you like the show, uh, you can always find us on Patreon at the patreon.com slash the short game. And you can join listeners such as Michael Smith, Tyler Plummer, or Abigail, no last name given. Thank you, Abigail, for your support. And uh, all of our listeners uh, are invited to our discord, which is where we talk mostly about birds and share bird puns. So... (laughs) I think I'm still sharing Goose Game memes. (laughs) We have not archived that channel just for me to randomly post memes of 
goose holding toilet the dirt paper. Bag goose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> She's constantly honking off in that channel. Yeah, I, I like to keep that channel around just in case I need to go back and reference all the good goose memes. So uh, thank you to all of you who shared them with us there. Uh, so without any further ado, the very first bird game that we uh, wanted to talk about, uh, I think Laura and I both played this one a little bit. And it's one of the flashier looking games uh, that I played for this year's Bird Week, and that's Songbird Symphony, which is a uh, game on the Nintendo Switch, the PlayStation 4, and on Steam, Mac and Windows. Yeah, this has some excellent pixel art. Yeah, that's really what drew me into this one. It's got incredible looking pixel art. And honestly, mostly that's down to the character designs. The main character is this. So it's a platforming game. It's a, you know, pretty straightforward, basic platforming game. Deathless platformer. Right. That's true. Yeah. uh, Deathless and very clearly kind of intended to be like a mellow, smooth experience. Um, You're playing as a bird named Burb. And he is a round boy, uh, kind of a kind of a sparrow, I guess. Like a sparrow crossed with a chicken body. Yeah, he's just a real chunky little round, fluffy, squishy guy, and um, a chunk, yeah. as it were. And the number one thing that I think makes this game stand out is the incredible character design. You know, Burb himself is constantly moving uh like his idle animation for example is a sort of a if you like leave him standing alone for a moment his idle animation is a little birdie dance that begins with a sort of a bob and weave and then goes through five or six iterations in a sort of a random order it's amazing looking i can't this is where our limitations as a medium as a podcast really just just hamper me but it has the most like incredibly charming squash and stretchy gooey body bird animations that you could possibly you really want to hug this tiny little bird. He's adorable. I, I, for example, the walk animation isn't a normal, like, just a little bit of a stroll. Like, the bird just kind of walks as if his arms and legs are made of jello. Um, there's just so much extraneous movement that that is where a ton of the charm of the game comes from. Yeah, I- I didn't actually get very far with this one, though, unfortunately, just because I thought I was going to love it based on the art. And the music is also pretty solid. Like, it's a, it's got a, a nice, cute little soundtrack. Um, but it didn't do much for me. It, it's uh, it's a it's a platformer, like a, a challenge light platformer with uh, the twist being sort of that the bosses or uh, combat, so to speak, is all like little mini rhythm games. So it's like very not challenge focused. And what that leaves you with, I mean, maybe this is my preconceptions throwing showing through, but like when you when you say that there's a combat free platformer, what that usually means is a collectathon. You know, like you've you've got to go and collect the eight orbs in the zone. It's move right? through the level and find the thing so that you can do the rhythm game. Right. Yeah. And I I kind of hate this type of level design. Songbird Symphony has what I have sometimes heard, I don't didn't coin this term. I think somebody on Retronauts said it and I stole it, but I don't remember. Uh, it's sort of airplane hangar level design, which is to say that basically every level is just sort of like this massive rectangle with a bunch of platforms in it. 
that are, you know, connected in one way or another. And your job is to kind of go through the whole thing and try to find all of the dots. And you want to collect all of those dots uh, before you can proceed. I'm only okay with that in Greece. And that's because Greece was really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it, it mostly... Um, reminds me of things like Earthworm Jim. Uh, and, you know, some people mm, love those yeah. games, Earthworm Jim and other games like them, but, like, I don't like that style. Like, that style of platforming, like, I want to I wanna be presented with challenges that are difficult to execute, but not impossible, and I don't want to have to do, like... I don't, well, I don't know. I still want to have to do this. Like, I didn't really enjoy this very much. Um, Your comparison to Greece is a, is a good touch point there, because for that style of game, I actually have... Some games are in that mode that I do like, uh, and it's usually the art and theming that pulls me along. Like, it, it also has to be something where I don't have to really um, get to the end of the end of the level and then realize I missed the one golden orb at the start and replay the whole thing. That's yeah, kind of the killer. This on one has well. a bit of that problem, and and I yeah. think for me it was. Uh, I really like a rhythm game, but this one's more like a bop it than like a, mm, a rhythm yeah. game. It's it's too easy in some ways. Like it, you don't have to have rhythm. You have to perform the commands. Um, but it, I, I think it's aimed at an all ages audience. So with the deathless combo and the rhythm game being so lax, like it felt like there were no guardrails and no challenges to fit. And I, I'm actually okay with that. It just kind of the the game and the theme and the look and how easy it was like all of those things seemed a little bit mismatched for me yeah mismatch is sort of what i'm thinking too because it, like if i'm in a game to experience its art and music and not have not have a, like a challenging platforming experience uh, that's cool but i want to keep forward momentum then because you know i'm i'm kind of thriving on like new visuals and and oh you're progress. thriving on tone and yeah, like yeah. you can throw in bird puns but like at the right time, like it, it just seemed like the timing of things wasn't where I wanted them to be. So that said, I think this might be a great game to play with a kid. Um, like I, it's very kid friendly. It's very cute. I think it would be a very good sort of or potentially a good first platformer for for somebody or, you know, not necessarily even first. But like if you've got somebody who's like challenged by that sort of thing, but who will be charmed by this aesthetic, it might really work for somebody like that. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, this didn't really do much for me. I really did love the art, though. I really, really love the art. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think the next thing we were going to talk about was, uh, Laura, you have a bit of a special connection, in a sense, to our next game, Tokitori. I do. Wait, so before we oh, do that, oh, but oh, first. Oh, oh, but before we do any transition, bird fact TM time. Can we trademark that? <laughs> Bird fact. <laughs> um, yeah. So the first bird fact I prepared for everyone uh, has to do with frame rates and birds. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought it would be uh, particularly appropriate for uh, a game podcast. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so with uh, a movie, then that's at 24 frames per second. Uh, and that's just fast enough to be able for, for humans to create that illusion of a moving picture. But if you were to show that to a bird, uh, let's say a pigeon, uh, they might be excited about the popcorn at the movies, but they are probably not going to be very interested in that movie because they need to see something at a significantly higher frame rate for it to create that illusion. Um, it's somewhere 
like over a hundred frames per second or so to be able to successfully uh, like pass that perception threshold for a bird, um, which I think is really cool that uh, to them, you know, so that's uh, why they spend so much on graphics cards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just love the idea that birds are watching movies and being like, oh, it's just like a really shitty flip book. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's something where that tense car chase or whatever is going to seem like stop motion. That's really badly done. Birds are really going to complain about your your frame rates on your uh, on your games. That's yeah, they they need they need really good performance uh, to be interested in anyone's video games. So, <laughs> I think Amazing. this will inform all future bird game picks. If it's if it's not at pushing a hundred frames per second, it's it can't be in Bird Week. Well, Laura, how are the frame rates on Toki Tori? Uh, not up to bird standards, but just <laughs> fine for everyone else. So Toki Tori is a game that we recently uh, remastered for Game Club and put on iOS. So I will uh, give that. I do work for Game Club. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. We didn't create the original, though. That's by two tribes, uh, these Dutch developers. And they started out actually putting this out on Game Boy Color in 2001. Then they put it on, I think, Windows Phone and then the Wii and then iOS like they just kept putting stuff like putting it on platforms right when platforms came out. So it's been on anything you can play on. If you want to play Toki Tori, um, and I think you should, it's really fun. You can pick your devices and if you're a Game Club subscriber, you can play it on iOS and Android soon. I have to say that. Um, but if you're like, Laura, you haven't told me what this game is. It's a puzzle platformer where you play this little bird um, the bird is a little yellow thing. It looks like it should be bald, um, but it's not. It's like a little yellow like egg a little egg-shaped bird. bird. And the idea is that you are going around and rescuing your unhatched siblings on each level. So if you're an old school short game listener, it's got some like swapper qualities. It's got like a lot of that like puzzle platformer bits because you start off and all you can do is like walk and fall and climb ladders. Um, and rewind time if you get stuck. Like birds can. Like birds can, yeah. Like you can rewind time. All birds have this power. That is another bird fact. Mm-hmm. But you can get a portal gun. You can get a freeze ray. You know, you can get like slime will start falling from the ceiling. All kinds of different tools unlock as you play the game. So it gets really elaborate and quite difficult as you keep playing. Um, I told... Uh, Reagan, before I started this, that I've played the first 15 levels of Toki Tori about 30 times and the rest of it once because <laughs> 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 I was testing the beginning of the game. But it's really uh, quite challenging and uh, there's a lot to explore. If you decide there's also a sequel, Toki Tori 2, where you get a little bit more powers and I think you can whistle and hop. Uh, so that adds just another layer onto the puzzle platformer. But um it's got these really four distinct worlds. Um, and so once you master one of your tools, when you go to a new place, all the tools act slightly differently, uh, which I think is the mark of a good puzzle platformer. You learn the mechanic, but when you go to a different environment, it acts totally different. 
those are really like it's a famous good series of puzzle platformers and it's good to see them return to iOS. I think I'll probably pick up the uh the I I actually downloaded the uh the Tokitori 2 Plus for the Switch recently because mm-hmm. I think it was on sale. I don't know if there was any synchronicity with the Game Club release there, but it just happened to be on sale around the same time. So I picked up that version and I've only played a little bit of it because I was playing other bird games. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I really, really like. And this you knew series. I had this they're, one covered. <laughs> yeah, they're they're just terrific. Um, so if you are looking for, we a good, made so many excellent puns. Oh, I bet. Um, oh, all over this thing. Yeah, but they're yeah, they're great. Mm-hmm. Like puzzle platformers, just really, really solid. So um, now that they're, I mean, they've the hallmark of this series has been that like it's been on everything. Um, so it's still on everything. If you have a device that you want to play a game on, probably you can play a Toki Tori on it, but, uh, they're very meticulous about their port. So you can trust that if it's on something, it's a good port. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to try the, uh, the iOS version now that I know that that's available again after probably a long time. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Before our next game, I've got a, a fact about, uh, Pelicans. So uh, brown pelicans, if you've ever seen how they fish, you know that they kind of circle above the water and then dive headfirst and go underwater to catch a fish. And they can be diving from as high as 60 feet. Um, and so they they need a way to not like be injured or hurt by smashing into the water at that speed. Um, And they do a few kind of cool things to protect themselves. The first is that they have air sacs beneath the skin on uh, on their breasts, which act kind of like cushions or like airbags (laughs) in a way. (laughs) Um, And while diving, the pelican is going to rotate its body just a little bit to the left. And this helps them avoid injury to the esophagus or the trachea, which are on the right side of the bird's neck. and they huh. also make sure that they're diving at the right angle uh, around between 60 and 90 degrees, which reduces uh, aiming errors, which can be caused by refraction uh, from the water's surface. And they lear- and that's, that last part is something that they learn to do uh, because the older pelicans are much better marksmen than younger birds. Ah. So some cool things about pelican diving. Although this next game is not about brown pelicans, but about Australian pelicans, and that is Storm Boy. Yes, Mark, I'm glad you played this because I was, you know, obviously I was looking through the Switch eShop and other stores for potential bird games. And this isn't one that shows up if you necessarily just do a search for bird, but it's it's an unusual game. Um, I, I, I'm not even sure I really understood exactly what it was, but I saw that it featured a pelican. And so I said, hey, does anybody want to check this out? Mark, what is Storm Boy? Yeah, so I you shared the game in the Discord, and I immediately was just from seeing the pictures in the description, it was like, this sounds so up my alley and really wanted to check it out. It's basically like a adaptation from a children's story, um, I believe of the same name, uh, about this Australian boy and his pelican friend, Mr. Percival, <laughs> which is extremely cute, and it's a really cute story. Uh, the the visual style of it, I found really charming, and seeing the uh, the sort of screenshots of that, uh, it seemed like, oh, this is 
definitely my kind of game. And then I went to go play it and found that I was pretty disappointed by the actual implementation of it. Uh, It's very much a game where your controls quite literally are on the joystick, basically move forward in the story by going holding to the right uh, or go back in the story by holding to the left. (laughs) Oh, no, it's just like a movie. Yeah, it's it's something where I think it honestly would have been better as like a little animated short film. And I think then it would have been extremely charming. Um, But as a game, I found that like there was very little interaction. There are a number of things that they call daydreams um, where you would go into like a little scene or something where you can interact with stuff um, where you are feeding the pelican friends that he has made and tossing a fish to them. Often my daydreams are about feeding my pelican friends. So yeah. Um, another one, uh, is you're digging up some clams on the beach, which felt like the annoying part of animal crossing, but not (laughs) as well implemented. Uh, (laughs) my favorite flavor of clam. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, even in those where it is more interactive, the, the controls and all that are actually extremely difficult to use and cumbersome. And so, even some of the ways that it could be fun wind up feeling really frustrating. Um, Mm. There were two of the daydreams that I thought were really fun. Um, One where you go swimming underwater, and that was actually pretty nice. And another where you play fetch with your pelican, Mr. Percival. And I, it's hard not to be like, okay, this is pretty great. I've thrown a ball and a pelican's getting it and bring it back for me. That's, that's fun. Um, But I thought the story of the game was well done. The visuals and uh, all of that were nice. Some of the sound design, there are moments where kind of the the text that's shown for the story references raucous bird sounds or a specific bird calling, and there are no bird noises in the game. And no! That, that just is something where, like, you, you can't, you can't tease me with that and not put at least a little bit of bird sound in there. Um, there's lots of other nice sound design, but... The one thing that really made me want to play this game was a particular screenshot from the uh, eShop page in which the boy is giving the pelican a hug on a beach in front of a sunset. And it is honestly like a really beautiful picture. And so I wanted to ask you about that. Does the pelican give good hugs? <laughs> So uh, that is one of those things where you don't have control over your character, really. It's just basically a cutscene. But I will say, extremely adorable. Um, I Things like that really do uh, take it from being something where uh, the moments of frustration, it's like, all right, this was, I got to see, I got to see a really cute pelican get a hug. That's pretty good. Um, but overall, I was a little let down by it. The whole game takes about... Um, 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how much time you spend in those daydreams. It really is just like going through a children's book, um, which, you know, I think is staying true to the source material, which I think is smart. But I I definitely wish that the gameplay and the ways that all of that worked were a little more uh, felt better integrated into the storytelling of uh the experience. Yeah. I mean, there are, there's a place sometimes for games that are essentially like a minimally interactive 
you know, children's book or, you know, short film or whatever it might be that just presents a story in a minimally interactive way. But, you know, having, having like, I think at the very least having good sound effects is a uh, sort of table stakes and, uh, and having, yeah. having like, you know, at least some kind of interaction that meets up with what you're seeing in a way that feels satisfying is also pretty important. So that's a bit of a disappointment. It does look beautiful though, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. The, the visuals of it, I was just really charmed by, and that, that was enough to keep me like, all right, I'm definitely going to keep playing this and enjoy like the moments where it is where I did enjoy it, like playing fetch with uh, the Pelican. Then the visual style is really what makes something like that work. Um, I just wish that, all of it was at that same level. So uh, to close out, I've got another uh, bird fact to share. People, of course, can be left or right-handed, but it turns out that at least some birds can also be uh, have a dominant hand. Parrots are one example of this where their eyes are on uh, the sides of their head. So if it wants to look at something like a piece of fruit or whatever that's holding It has to cock its head to one side um, to be able to do that. And if it looks with its left eye, it's going to use its left foot, its right eye, right foot. And this is uh, determined by what hand is dominant in the bird. And that that particular foot is going to be used for all kinds of complex tasks that the bird does. Sulfur-crested cockatoos, almost all left-handed or left-footed, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, pretty cool that that is a a thing that carries over into birds as well. Yeah, that's weird. I hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me. Probably because they don't have hands. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, Laura, I think you are going to introduce us to a short game in the truest sense of the word. Yes, featuring a parrot. So thank you, Mark, for uh, doing the extra mile to find a parrot-related fact. So in true short game procrastination style, I, about two hours ago, loaded up the uh, interactive fiction database and uh, searched for the word bird and found they have a tag called bird protagonist. Oh. And I clicked on that tag. (laughs) There are three. There are three games tagged with bird protagonist. And... Lo and behold, God bless the IFDB. It is so good. So good. And one of those three games is by Emily Short. So <laughs> I, and I looked and it was like five to 30 minutes. Um, oddly, the uh, description didn't seem to mention birds at all, but I figured with that time and the tag bird protagonist, how could I go wrong? Nobody's just going to put the tag bird protagonist onto a game by accident. No. And uh, I mean, I now figured- someone might. Now someone's just going to go haywire. Please don't. Um, So Glass by Emily Short is about the end of Cinderella. Oh. So you uh, are observing a conversation between the prince and his uh, mom, the queen. And when you ask for help, it says you can say a word and change the conversation or think. And it becomes very clear that you are a parent yelling words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're a parent amazing. in a cage 
And all you can do to influence the course of events is yell stuff at the, and at different times, if they're in different moods, <laughs> yelling different words, like you can yell love and then the prince will get kind of misty eyed. But if you yell love in the middle of another conversation, he'll look pissed. <laughs> so each playthrough is maybe 10 turns max, really short. Classic Emily short. Yeah. Many endings. The idea is that you just keep playing and restarting. Um, I, I think she's saying stuff about like uh, trying to put some subversiveness in. It's about fairy tales. It's about um, kind of repetitiveness. But she's clearly just playing with like how little can a person do? Uh, in this case, a parrot. So, and you don't even see yourself, but people will like call you a bad, you know, bad bird if you start yelling the word ball over and over again. <laughs> Because you don't know what else to do. They'll just be like, this bird doesn't know how to behave. And they'll, you know, they'll yell at you, uh, which isn't nice. You shouldn't yell at parrots. But it's a little charming gym. It's very short. The really fun thing about this game is because it assumes you already know about Cinderella, it doesn't give you a lot of instructions. And it assumes you're going to come up with words that make sense. Um, and... It's also fun because the parrot repeats things. So when you say the word ball, it'll actually repeat a line that the queen said earlier. Like it's very clever in that like repeating dialogue, uh, changing the story. So super short and very, very recommended. Awesome. That sounds really, really neat. I, I love going and browsing through the IFDB and just sort of finding weird, interesting stuff. There's no really other place on the internet where you can see like a, a database of such a such a massive database of games that you can search in these like wild, like incredibly tagged and well-organized way. And then literally just click into almost any of them and play them almost instantly. Like that's one of the amazing things about the IFDB is that like that stuff is almost all free and available and playable in a browser right there, ready to go. So And heavily reviewed. Absolutely. Like this is by a popular author, but it's definitely way down on the like notability list still had 92 reviews or 92 ratings and like four reviews including one that was really in depth so Mm. even for like minor works there's plenty which is great and this goes back this one goes back to 2006 which shows you how long it's been that the if community has really been experimenting with modes of interaction in these parser games um probably Uh, You could give some examples that go farther back than this, but this one in particular really reminds me of that game we played, Toby's Nose. Oh, I can see that, Where you're also an animal, uh, and through being an animal, interacting with a classic story, in that case, Sherlock Holmes, you have like a limited set of keywords, things that you can do to influence the story and and move the... uh, Well, that one had some puzzle elements to it as well. Yeah, this one's super simple, but it's... It's got that same like limited set um, playing on a a fairy tale, something you're supposed to know very well. It's just like for a five minute game, it's it's got a lot of replayability, which is great. That's really cool. Um, Mark. (laughs) All right. Uh, Another bird fact. I want to tell you about a bird. Birds called shrikes. Uh, there's a number of different kinds of them. They are tiny. They look really cute, kind of cool. They've got these are a, the tiny killers, right? These are the tiny killers. Uh, the, the northern the shrike butcher is, bird. 
Uh, <laughs> I've heard yeah, of these. They, yeah, these birds are cute, but very deadly. They are murderous little beasts. Um, <laughs> and something really cool about them is uh, they will lure in other small birds with their song by including phrases that resemble and kind of mimic these prey species, chickadees and sparrows, and be able to imitate their calls, allure another bird in thinking it's it's another chickadee, <laughs> and then they swoop in for the kill. And that is uh, terrifying and awesome. <laughs> That's very cool. And also very appropriate to the next couple of games I was going to talk about, which I'm kind of grouping together. So uh, not to get too ahead of myself, but I was going to mention that all four of the games I played this week are pixel art, uh, sort of budget priced indie Switch games. And most of them are also out on other platforms, but sort of unifying theme for me this week was like I played a bunch of bird games on Switch. And uh, they're very varied in my responses to them. So obviously, like I mentioned with Soundbird Symphony, I really liked the art, but I didn't so much get into the gameplay. Um, I, the next two I'm going to kind of call out one after another because the first one, Blazing Beaks, uh, was something that I uh, got off the Switch eShop uh, thinking like, oh, this actually looks like a pretty quality game. And it is. It's also just like, I don't know what I was thinking. I just downloaded it and immediately was like, hmm. It's a quality game in a, in a style that I don't end up actually liking. Every time I play one of these, I don't end up actually really enjoying it very much. Um, with, with a couple of minor exceptions, Blazing Beaks is a top-down twin-stick shooter roguelite. Uh, so a popular mm. style of games uh, these days. So if you think about things like um, uh, like Enter the Gungeon would be probably the number one game for me in this style. But even things like... Um, uh, oh, geez, what's that extremely popular one? The name of which I'm forgetting. Isaac, uh, Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, this one, uh, all of the characters are birds. So your sort of main character is a duck, but there's lots of other types of birds as well. You can be a chicken or, you know, other birds. Uh, and I think also a, a platypus, some other beak bearing creatures. Um, and uh, you have a gun and your job is to go through various levels. It's a top-down perspective. Uh, each screen is sort of self-contained with a bunch of enemies. Gameplay-wise, this feels and even looks basically like a clone of Nuclear Throne. So I don't know if any of you guys have played Nuclear Throne. I played it um, back when it was pretty new. It was a Vlambeer game. We've talked about Vlambeer on the show mm -hmm. before. Vlambeer did um, yep. Super Crate Box and... Uh, Luff Drowsers and, uh, you know, many popular games. Um, this game, they, they did a, uh, I, I think, uh, I think pretty well-regarded uh, top-down twin-stick shooter roguelike called uh, Nuclear Throne, although it has mostly been overshadowed by other games in the genre. I think this is one of those genres where, like, if you like these top-down twin-stick roguelikes, um, you know, you know, you like them and you probably have the one that you've played a zillion and one times. And then maybe you've tried some of the others, but you've got like very specific particular reasons that your game is your game. Right. Um, so I think for, for a lot of people, the your game in that sentence is going to be like Isaac or uh, or Enter the Gungeon. Those are both super popular. Uh, and for one reason or another, uh, Nuclear Throne was sort of overshadowed in that. Uh, in that genre, even though I think it was pretty well regarded critically. Um, but I did play it and booting this up, it was like, this is a, I mean, I'm sure there are subtleties that as somebody who's not really super, super into this genre 
um, doesn't see, but to me, it just looked and felt like an absolute straight up clone of Nuclear Throne with birds instead of mutants. That's not to say it's not well made. It's an extremely well made one of these, uh, from what I could tell. So if this is a game, a style of game that you enjoy, first of all, like this is not a like this is something you can get for. I think it was like when I got it, it was on sale on the Switch eShop, and it was like a dollar or something. So that was nice. Hmm. It seems to go on sale quite a bit, and uh, you know that price was. Uh, really masking the fact that it is a quality, well-made game. Um, so if this is a, a style of game that you are into, uh, I would definitely check out Blazing Beaks, but I just got into it and immediately was like, oh, right, I I kind of hated Nuclear Throne, and I think I don't like this much either. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, joke's on me. I don't know why I decided to play this, <laughs> knowing full well that this is the kind of game that I don't usually find myself getting that into. But there it is. And it it is a, it is a quality one of these. Also, birds cooler than mutants. So you should you should get this game. I'll give it. I'll give it that. And also, the sort of subtle irony of a duck wielding a shotgun uh, is a uh, or not irony, perhaps just reversal. Whatever that is, I like that idea. Um, So yeah, if you like that, uh, check it out. Uh, It's it's actually really well done, Um, and the art style is decent. And uh, yeah, I I would I would recommend it um, if this is the sort of game that you like. Oddly enough, the other game was one that I thought I wasn't going to like because, okay, the next game I wanted to talk about briefly is Duck Souls. I mean, okay, terrible. I mean, yeah. Terrible title. <laughs> uh, but it, so yeah. it's not at all like Dark Souls is the first thing that I would say. Wait, wait, seriously? <laughs> right. It's not anything like Dark Souls at all. Um, except it, I think what they were trying to evoke with that title, which frankly I think is doing the game a disservice, although may, maybe it was good for marketing reasons, I don't know. But Duck Souls, or in the case of its uh, console port, it's referred to as Duck Souls Plus. So there was a, there was a PC version that's Duck Souls. Duck, the console pl- version is Duck Souls Plus. I'm not really sure what changed. I got a plus. Yeah, that's it is. It's, it's, it's more than Duck Souls. Um, it's This one, actually, I really, really liked a lot and didn't expect to. First of all, what I think they're trying to evoke with Duck Souls, the title, is that it is a sort of quote unquote masso core platformer. It's very difficult, um, but or rather, it, it it pretends to be. This is what's sort of interesting about it. Um, m- m- many games in this sort of like here's a so it, it, let me let me start by describing the game and maybe I'll be a little clearer. Um, it's a uh, it's a platformer with very bright, colorful graphics. You play as a tiny duck who has to collect one egg in every stage. Each stage fits entirely on one screen, so it's very self-contained. You know, you can see all the platforming challenges. You can see the egg from the very start of the level, and your job is to get from point A to point B in each of 100 levels to collect the egg at the end of the level. But in between you and the egg are lots of different things, mostly spikes and rotating knives and blades and lasers and other hazards. So it's one of those, right? If you've played things like uh, Super Meat Boy is the touch point for this style of platforming, right? It's uh, it's extremely aggressive, no life bar, one touch death, uh, you know, die fast, start over fast, try things until you get it right style of play. So I think when they say Duck Souls in the title, they were trying to evoke the fact that it's difficult. And when the very first version of this game came out, maybe Dark Souls was more uh, in the in the consciousness. And I don't I, I don't think it's a really good title. I think it does the game a disservice because it's actually extremely chill and pleasant for one of these. That's the thing that really struck me about this is that it's a game that does the Massacore platforming thing 
while, while doing everything it possibly can to make you feel chill about it. It has an incredibly nice soundtrack. Um, I don't have the person who did the soundtrack in front of me. I, I should, should have looked it up in advance of this because actually one of our uh, patrons, when I mentioned Duck Souls, was immediately like, oh yeah, that one of my favorite game composers did the soundtrack for Duck Souls. Um, somebody Google it, or I'll try and Google it here while we, I'll mention them in a second. But anyway, the soundtrack is lovely. It's really, really nice. Uh, and it's a chill, vibey soundtrack. Hi, hi. Johan Turpin. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for Googling for me. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, see, my, my problem here is that I can't Google while speaking on the podcast because my keyboard is very loud. Um, so really lovely soundtrack. The art style is also really nice too. Um, I don't think, I couldn't find any reference to the development process on this. At first I thought, surely this is one of those games that began as a Pico 8 uh, prototype because it has mm -hmm. the Pico 8 color palette, which you kind of know it if you see it. It's this sort of like very bright, very cheerful colors that it, uh, and something about the pixel art style and color palette they were using reminded me very much of things like the early Celeste demo that was made in Pico 8 or Pico 8, whatever, you, however you pronounce it. Um, if you don't know Pico 8 though, just to kind of explain what I'm talking about, it's a pixel art style that's like small sprites, big pixels, low detail, and very bright colors. Not quite neon, but like bright and cheerful. Uh, a little bit day glow, a little bit, you know, just an overall cheerful vibe. And then the, the last thing I'll mention about it is that it has that difficulty that I mentioned, but it has two difficulty modes and it's very smart about it. First of all, there's no normal mode on this. It has casual mode and hard, uh, which I think is interesting because there's no normal. Um, and uh, I played it mostly on casual, but the main difference is that are there checkpoints in the middle of a level? So, you know, a level might be made up of say three or four kind of core platforming challenges. Do you have to make it over all of them to get to the egg or do you have a checkpoint in the middle? That's the only real difference that I could discern between the hard and casual modes. Uh, I played it on casual and I felt like it was a perfectly good experience that way. Although one of the other nice things about it, you can switch back and forth at any time. So if you are playing on hard uh, and you wanna switch over to casual, all of your unlocks count and vice versa. If you've been playing on casual and you wanna switch over to hard, you are continuing where you left off. Um, so overall, really recommend this game. It, its title doesn't do it any favors. And honestly, it's key art. It's like advertising art that you see in the shop and on its logo and everything also doesn't do it a lot of favors because I just don't think it's very attractive. But the game itself is. It's really beautiful once you get into the levels. The, the music is lovely. The pixel art is great. And uh, it, it manages to make the Masocore platforming genre vibey, uh, which is... Mm unexpected. So I would recommend this game. Absolutely. And uh, it's on everything. Um, it's on Switch, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and PS Vita. Um, if you happen to be one of the hardcore uh, uh, Vita Nation uh, survivors, uh, hang in there, PS Vita fans. Um, so I, I would 100% recommend checking out Duck Souls. It uh, it seems like it goes on sale pretty frequently, even its full price. I think it's like five bucks. So um, 100 nice little levels and a, and a really good soundtrack. Check it out. All right. Time for another bird fact. 
I'll be honest, this one does not have anything to do with the following game, but uh, I think it's cool. About another bird uh, that is known for its mimicry, the mockingbird, the northern mockingbird, which from its name, you might think uh, is named for being found in the northern states. But it actually was not in northeastern states until the 20th century. Uh, They expanded their range into Ohio and the upper Midwest. Originally, these birds are southerners. Uh, but they are named this because they are northern relative to other bird, other mockingbirds that are found uh, in uh, Central and South America, the tropical mockingbird, mm. which I don't know. I just thought it was pretty cool to learn that the mockingbird is a southerner. <laughs> mm. That's right, y'all. And Harper Lee and you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next game on our list, I uh, I hesitate to use the word game. Because I, 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 as I've said many, many times on this show, I'm big tent about what constitutes a game. Anything that you play with, uh, anything that you play and play is also a, 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 a expansive term is a game. I actually once walked Reagan uh, out somewhere where we saw a big tent, and he he pointed and he said, "That's a game. That's a game. I saw it. <laughs> yes, fact. It's a game. And this is a museum. And I pointed at it and said, "That's a game. The Bird Museum. Uh, Mark." Would you explain the Bird Museum, please? Um, yeah, it is a fun, uh, free game that's available on Itch, uh, which I recommend using their app to download it if you are on a Mac. I could not get it to work otherwise. Um, but once <laughs> I had it up and running, um, you go in and it is this little virtual museum that is randomly filled each time you play it with a, a large selection of bird art that people submitted to the developer online um, ranging from people's just random sketches of a bird that uh, are not super high quality to like incredible drawings and sculptures uh, that people rendered that they submitted. And it is pretty fun. Um, I really enjoyed looking around. Uh, I got a couple of duplicates in there, but um, it did seem like there was probably still a large amount of art that it was drawing from and you could play it if like reload it a few times and see more stuff but uh going around i found myself taking a whole bunch of screenshots thinking like oh this is so fun like look at this one that's ridiculous um and it really did remind me of like going to an art museum where i would take a photo of like my favorite pieces or whatever um just to be able to look at them later um and yeah, there was uh, some funny things, but also just some like really nicely done art that uh, I was kind of surprised by. Yeah, I, I played through this as well, and I really liked it. What I think is kind of kind of most important about this is that it is something where you um, you get a different selection of bird art every time mm-hmm. you quote unquote visit the museum, and that's neat. Uh, you know, I only visited twice, but I. I I agree. I sort of had fun both times, you know, in the, uh, in these times, as we have had to say pretty often lately in, in these interesting times, uh, I, I'm not going out to any art museums, but this was a kind of a fun little experience to like simulate one. And I was surprised at how much like a museum visit it felt. 
I mean, I don't think that, you know, the Guggenheim or some or whatever should be immediately like digitizing their their uh, their collection and presenting it online in a virtual. Actually, what, what am I saying? They should absolutely do that. That would be amazing. I would love to have a virtual Guggenheim to walk through or whatever. <laughs> um, but like, yes, that is great. But like the idea that like taking this like random art from Twitter and presenting it in a museum style locale kind of elevated what would be like weird sketches from Twitter into art that I took, I I took more time to appreciate it than I would have scrolling Mm. through a Twitter feed. And so I really dug that about it. And I think this is a really good idea. I I hope that more people do this. It's really clever. Yeah. And I definitely had that same sort of feeling of like, I probably would not think much of uh, some of these drawings, seeing them on Twitter or wherever else. But something about it does really elevate it or at least makes your mind think about it a little bit more. Um, It really Mm -hmm. does evoke that museum feeling. Also, just the way that the building is done uh, feels really, uh, really has that uh, eyewitness intro vibe. uh, If any of y'all saw any of those videos. Oh, um, do, 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 do. Yeah. Okay. That one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. For me, it reminded me, this is kind of weird, but it, like it, it reminded me of like, um, like the witness or other, other like games where you're like on an, like mist a little bit. Like it just sort of like you're on this like mysterious Island. That's like empty except for this weird bird museum of internet drawings. <laughs> I, I, I really, Actually, one of the things that I thought was also particularly really neat about it was that it's not all just 2D art. There's also sculptures, and the sculptures, of course, mm-hmm. are just like 3D renders. Um, the uh, some of those were really good too. So, like, there's like a like one of my favorite screenshots I took here is somebody named uh, Madison Sherrick uh, did uh, at Menelos on Twitter did a really beautiful sculpt of a bird doing a dance, wearing a top hat. And, and holding a cane, doing some sort of old vaudevillian type of dance or something. Just a really good, uh, good piece of art. And it's, of course, next to like an incredibly uh, weird looking bird helicopter uh, and uh, a sphere with a beak that looks angry and uh, the head of that one bird shaped guy from My Hero Academia. Like it's a real interesting uh, assortment. And I, I just thought it was really fun to sort of walk through and look at all the birds. I don't know. There's nothing else to do about this other than look at birds, but that's what it is. I think my favorite piece was one uh, called pink necked green pigeon in parentheses anxious uh, by <laughs> Jai Hui, uh at ulcer update on Twitter. <laughs> um, I love Twitter. Which uh, is <laughs> uh, something where, I don't know. It's something where it's like, yeah, that is really cool art. And I really feel that uh, where, I don't know. I just really liked that one. There were a number of others I took screenshots of. I loved that vaudevillian sculpture. I got that one as well. <laughs> Another good one was Striped uh, by Marijke uh, McDonald at, I'm trying to read this with the, it's the colors all separated in the the pink. Yeah, it did. A, it did this yeah. weird uh, chromatic aberration kind of thing on the graphics, which I'm not sure what they were going for with that, but it does. I don't know. Adds a little bit of something. Made the text hard to read. At Gekonide, Gekonide. I don't know. Uh, it's <laughs> you know is what it is. It's Twitter. Go visit the museum. Yep. You'll see it for yourself. <laughs> 
So Reagan just uh, threw some shade on the Guggenheim, which has a really good online collection if you want to look at pictures of stuff. But um, in this weird time we're in, I, I've looked at virtual museum tours, and I want to give a shout out to um, Faison Born Misa Museo Nacional. Just search like Spanish virtual tour museum. It'll come up. <laughs> They've got insane like like and Google Street View is one thing, but to like actually put like full detailed walkthroughs where you can zoom in on everything in the exhibit. Um, and they also all work with VR. <laughs> they also made audio guides for several of these. So you can walk up in VR or on your desktop, double click, zoom in on something and then listen to the audio as if you're in the museum. But there's some cool ones. There's like a Balenciaga and Spanish painting one where they have clothes next to paintings. There's impressionists and then photography being done at the same time next to each other. So like it's it's museum uh, virtual COVID technology has come a long way. I'm glad to hear it. And uh, hopefully we'll all be able to walk through museums other than just the Bird Museum. Mark, do you have a, a final bird fact for us? Oh, no, not final. We've got we've got two yeah. more, hopefully, bird facts before you have to start making them up. <laughs> oh, he's been making all of these up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for, for all some of you know, then uh, that could be true. I was uh, beginning to suspect, <laughs> yeah. Birds aren't real. So this one I learned pretty recently. So herons and spoonbills and some other wading birds, they have the problem of raccoons often invading their nesting colonies and eating the eggs that are in their nests. And, you know, they've got to find some kind of home security. Uh, they're not going with something like simply safe or whatever. <laughs> Instead, what they have been doing is building their nests uh, on islands around and uh, because they're waiting birds, they're already in uh, flooded watery areas, but on li tiny little islands where alligators are in the surrounding waters uh, because that is a very likely deterrent for a raccoon. <laughs> there is the downside of occasionally a, uh, a chick will fall from the nest and be eaten up by an alligator. But uh, overall they have been more, they're more likely to nest on these islands in alligator waters than not, which uh I don't know. I think that's funny of like literally going with the alligator moat as home defense. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And uh, speaking of the nest, Shane played a game that I've been eager to hear a little bit about called Fledgling Heroes, right, Shane? Well, there's an easy transition here uh, because we are discussing birds in collaboration with uh, large lizards, which are feature heavily in the game Fledgling Heroes. Really, to talk about fledgling heroes, I have to start by going back to, I want to say, 2013. I think I looked this up earlier. Uh, 2013, a dude named Dong made the most addicting game of all time, and it changed the app marketplace forever. That game, of course, was the original Tap to Flap. Flappy Bird. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any memories of Flappy Bird? 
I remember arguing with you about it on this podcast. I need to go back into our archive. I think it was in the first couple of weeks of the show. Like, uh, and you were, I think, I remember I was like staunchly defending saying like Flappy Bird is good game design because it is compelling. And you were like, no, it's crap. And I was very angry. <laughs> is that true? I would have to go back and revise. Well, I, I think both of us were correct. One, Flappy Bird was in- inherently compelling game design. And B, uh, yes, one and B. Uh, Flappy Bird is crap. So <laughs> mm-hmm. one, um, one, A1, <laughs> A with a dagger. Yes. So the core of fledgling heroes is exactly Flappy Bird. It is the tap to flap game. But if you were to take that core concept and build it out into a much, much, much more full featured and engaging experience, that would be what you'd pretty much wind up with here fledgling heroes well first let's start with the art style uh, of fledgling heroes which is really really beautiful it's got this not quite cartoony not quite realistic very artistic art style like the 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 backgrounds and the and the scenery are all these beautiful line art uh kind of looks like uh something drawn by a good cartoonist leaning heavily on Adobe Illustrator, if that makes sense to you. Um, and it it is the a game in which you have this collection of birds, each of whom have a slightly different control style, um, getting through lots, and I mean lots, of levels uh, where you are facing off against lizards which are pirate lizards. <laughs> it's a really charmingly animated game. Like the character design is really good. The, the, the level design is pretty darn good and it like works well for what it is, which I think is very much a mobile game, although it is available on the Nintendo Switch. So right now it's on Apple Arcade and Nintendo Switch. I would, I would say it's, to me, it feels like a phone game. There are a ton of clones of Flappy Bird out there. So why would you pick this one? Most of them even have birds in them. We could do a whole bird week that was nothing but clones of Flappy Bird. And mm-hmm. actually maybe that would be a fun <laughs> a fun thing to compare. Flappy Bird Redux. <laughs> yes, but this this one has uh whereas kind of Flappy Bird and a lot of Flappy Bird clones have this sort of infinite level like high score run. This is very level based. The levels are designed to be replayed because a lot of times you have multiple routes through the levels, even though they're quite short. There's a lot of different things to interact with from these like lizard enemies. There's quite a, quite a variety to them uh, to, you know, other kinds of animals that are jumping around to, you know, different structures in the level. And all of it is in like this big overworld. There's like, I think four different overworlds zones that you can, you can go through. There's also a lot of, effort put into making this something you could play on a long-term or ongoing basis. Like if, so if this clicks for you, there's a, there's a lot of depth, not just a large number of levels, but there's a level designer, which I, I did kind of tinker around with a little bit and it's actually pretty good. I, I, when I see that kind of thing in a game, I'm usually not expecting to want to engage with it, but they seem to have learned a lot of the lessons of stuff like Mario maker, because you have uh, the ability, a lot of ability to tag levels and and search for levels that are different kinds. Um, one of the downsides to that level maker is 
you have to collect the different object and structures to put into the levels. And those are from blueprints that are scattered through all the mainline levels. So I didn't really uh, have a lot of those when I was playing around with it. There's a lot of different ways to engage in this, in this, like the different birds control differently. One of them's a parrot that is your typical flapper, but right away you get a baby penguin who can't really fly, but can swim. And so the whole level design is pretty different there. There's other things. There's like a kingfisher that can dive into the water. There's a quail that can't fly, but can kind of run along the ground and jump. So there's a there's a lot of kind of variety there. But you also, in the nature of this being very customizable, like the levels, you also can customize the characters. So you can actually unlock like different color palettes for them and then create your own color palette. So you can decide, okay, I want to totally repaint this parrot. And you're free to do so. And there's actually a surprisingly good interface for doing that. Uh, so this is, this seems like a game that like it wants you to really have fun with it in different ways and get into it. The I don't know how like to what extent the level design community is going to take off for this, but there is a lot that you could do with these, and they do show a lot of that in the in the real levels. And the baby penguin really really reminded me of something that I've been enjoying this week. So I don't know if we're doing a making us happy this week. Um, but one of the things that's been making me happy this week is, um, I have been on a George Miller movie binge. Um, <laughs> those who might be in the know, know that George Miller is one of them. Well, I should call out the podcast that has me doing this. That's blank check with Griffin and David, my favorite movies podcast, who's doing a filmography of George Miller. Basically, this is me working my way back to a, a rewatch of Mad Max Fury Road, which uh, absolutely rules. Uh, but George Miller has had a weird career, uh, and part of that weird career is making both Happy Feet movies. And <laughs> what a career. <laughs> For those of you who, like, literally, literally, Happy Feet 2 is the movie that gave George Miller the cash and the okay, the go-ahead to make Mad Max Fury Road. Which, bless it. Bless that, that pr- presumably <laughs> presumably successful Penguin movie. <laughs> Don't watch Mad Max Fury Road with your children. But if you have a kid, like I do, Happy Feet, especially Happy Feet 2, not that bad. Especially when you get to the absolute banger sequence that is un- when they do Under Pressure in Happy Feet 2. <laughs> <laughs> where they have all the walruses um, trying to shift this big piece of ice and they're trying to like bash it and the walruses are doing like a big ice bashing dance and all the penguins are tapping along and then from underneath the ice, the krill are tap dancing on the ice. They're all trying to shake this ice and they do, guys, not to spoil it for you. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, so that, that's a great scene. So I hope you all have a chance to enjoy both this wonderful tap to flap uh, and the works of George Miller. I feel like I either saw Happy Feet in theaters, but why? Why would I have seen Happy Feet in theaters? <laughs> I saw Happy Feet in theaters, but that was because I was a child. Um, <laughs> right, was, uh, but I wasn't. I, I saw was that I babysitting? And, um, Maybe I took someone on babysitting. 
I saw I it remember. and I remember uh, for Christmas that year, my brother got me a little mumble stuffed animal. Aww. <laughs> Aww. That sounds really Do you really remember lovely. how out of left field the last minute ecological message in that film was? <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I was like 10. I do not remember. <laughs> <laughs> what? You weren't critiquing film at that point? Okay. <laughs> Shade, I, I appreciate you bringing that to us. And also, I'm glad that you let us know more about fledgling heroes. Um, I didn't realize, so I was tracking Fledgling Heroes as a as a hot incoming uh, bird game for Bird Week, but at the time I only knew that it was coming to Switch. The fact that it's on Apple Arcade was a total surprise to me, and if I, if I had known it was going to be on Apple Arcade, I probably would have been ex- you know, even more excited and would have probably played it day one, as is I haven't even downloaded it yet. But uh, yeah, if you have an Apple Arcade subscription... Uh, this is on those all of those devices and also on the switch, which is pretty cool. All right. Time for uh, time for the last bird fact. Fact me. Yes. Uh, closing out uh, re- uh, relevant for this final game in the bird world. You can find king penguins, king vultures, king eiders, 89 species of kingfishers. 11 species of kingbirds, and three species of tiny little kinglets. But of the 10,000 plus species of birds around the globe, there are no birds that are queens. Uh, There used to be a species of bird of paradise named the Queen Corolla's Paratisha. But uh, this bird has been, uh, the name was trimmed just to Corolla's Paratisha more recently. So there are no birds with queen in the name. Are there any with princess? You know, that I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) Get it together, Mark. You don't know the names of every. (laughs) Who is responsible for trimming the names of birds? And why would they do this? You know, I don't know that part either. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, these are all really interesting questions, and you're going to have to get back to us on the next Bird Week, Mark. I sure am. That's why we need to have another another Bird Week. Yeah, they they need to keep happening. Well, based on the times, the time scale between the Bird Weeks, I think they're accelerating. We're only going eventually. Every week will be Bird Week, and uh, then we'll have multiple Bird Weeks per week, and. It's going to yeah, be madness. It's, it's going to be a spinoff podcast by that point. Absolutely. So. And apologies, everybody, for the lack of puns in this episode. Yeah, we, we've been a little... Ching came out with a bang, and yet we have not told a single one since. I blame Corvid 19 <laughs> Oh, yay. Back on. <laughs> That's the kind of content our listeners are looking for. Yep. Um, so thank you so much for that especially uh, relevant Uh, note mark because the next game i wanted to talk about was revenge of the bird king um and this is this is a weird one to talk about i i feel like i have to set up some of the stuff around this game before i tell you about the game itself even though things about the game and its actual gameplay are quite interesting um revenge of the bird king is a game that i i literally only played because on the switch eShop it was on sale for one cent (laughs) uh let me tell you it was worth that one cent and i am very glad that I picked it up. Um, but first of all, I want to I explain some things about Revenge of the Bird King that I found while doing research about it that made it even more interesting because I think this game has a bit of, to me, it felt like it had mystery surrounding it. It was like, what is this weird thing? Uh, because it's, its icon, its art is basically a uh, uh, like a bird-headed man with a gun fighting a gorilla and some other animals in the background. That sounds sick. It, it, it looked pretty sick. 
the developer is M7 Games, who I, I had to look up, and they have only developed. This is the third game in a series. This is the third game in a game series called the Gun World series. Um, and the Gun World series is a series of retro-styled 2D platformers that seem to be the closest thing to outsider art that I have seen in the in the gaming landscape, at least on consoles. It's a very strange series. Uh, they they don't seem they all seem very very similar, except for perhaps their plot and uh, like level design. They're they're all the same art style, which I can absolutely say is not attractive. They're they're set all on a planet called Gun World. Uh, which is a planet where guns grow from plants. In fact, let me read you the opening crawl for uh, Revenge of the Bird King, the third gun world game. Uh, It all started with a bang. A thunderous crack echoed into a vast nothingness like a divine gunfire. It shot life, stars, and worlds throughout the cosmos. One of those planets was Gunworld, a land of bravado, heroes, and legends. On Gunworld, none are more revered than the gunmen and gunwomen, legendary heroes who dedicate their lives to harvesting gun plants. So, okay, it had me there, right? And then it it kind of undercuts itself. This is going to be kind of a theme with this game is that it has really good ideas and then tends to sort of undercut them. Uh, the next thing that it says in the opening crawl is, yeah, on Gun World, guns grow on trees. Just go with it, okay? Anyway, and then the crawl continues. And I imagine that thinks it's being cute, but I, I, I it, it, it undercuts its own humor very consistently. Every time it does something that is actually funny, it tries to do this like, hey, hey, wink, nod. Did you notice our joke? Do you get that we're joking thing? And it's like, yes, I got that you're joking and you just spoiled it. Thanks. Um, so it has a style of humor going for it that I don't think always works. Um, but the game does have some things about it that are very amusing. Uh, it is a, it is about that the main character is President Eagle of the, of the gun world, and uh, he's uh, he's trying to get revenge for uh, th- the plot is very confusing. He's there's a team of evil. Uh, animal creatures from other planets that received all of them received a book in the mail that told them that they needed to come to gun world. And then apparently they're enemies of the, of the bird, um, the president Eagle, Uh, the bird King is long dead apparently. And we're like hunting down his relics or something. I haven't played long enough to really understand the plot. And I'm not sure that it's actually something you can or need to understand, Uh, but it has a lot of it. It has a lot of plot. Um, But uh, it's, it's actually weirdly compelling to play. It's it's like it's broken in many weird ways that make it kind of bad, but also really compelling. It's hard hard to explain. Um, so okay, I, I want to talk about its like its platforming mechanics. It really feels like it really feels like a, a game that was created by one person who is really passionate about like recreating and combining the things that they loved about the games from their childhood. So it has RPG uh, style progression. It has an overworld plus uh, side-scrolling elements that feels a lot sort of like ripped from Zelda 2. Um, it has a platforming that feels a bit like it's designed to replicate the uh, the sort of run and shoot aspects of something like Mega Man. It's very, very hard. It has... Uh, incredibly punishing, weird saving and uh, and reloading mechanic, 
where, you know, you, first of all, you have to remember to save manually, which feels like a bit out of place in a, in a game like this today. Uh, and you're, uh, when you die, you go back to the beginning of the level, unless you have paid 2,000 coins, which are very hard to get together, to buy a respawn eagle that lets you respawn in place. Um, so it's very expensive to, so it's like really, really hard to get through one of these levels. And the level design is, is really, the difficulty is all backloaded. So you have to get all the way to just to the boss and then die and you have to start the whole thing over. Very NES hard, legitimately a very hard game. Um, but it does some things that are really kind of interesting. Um, it has, uh, you, you, you don't start each level with a gun, but you start each level with an unlimited number of gun seeds. So you can throw the gun seeds onto the ground and instantly a gun plant grows, which is a little plant that has a massive revolver coming out of it. And you pick up the revolver, which is at least as big as President Eagle himself. And, uh, and then you can start shooting it and eventually it runs out of ammo and you have to plant another gun seed. Or you can use your gun seeds to plant a turret that shoots for you. So there's a lot of kind of trying to angle to be able to throw a gun seed into a place to kill an enemy to, to like clear out a platform so that it's safe for you to jump onto, that kind of thing. Um, you also have a massive sword, but your massive sword isn't for hitting things with, it's or isn't for killing things, it's only for like hitting armor off of things. So you might have to like go in with your massive sword, hit something to knock its armor off, and then maybe toss a gun seed to plant a turret and get that to shoot it from behind or something like that. It Classic bird gameplay. Classic, classic bird gameplay. And it's, it's, it's really broken and also really compelling. And I don't know how else to describe it. How would you rank the birds? Mm, uh, well, President Eagle himself has rockin' abs, and so I'd say he's one of the most powerful birds in the entire animal kingdom. Quick question about, you mentioned the respawn mechanic being a respawn eagle. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, you have to buy the respawn eagles from the sassy vending machine. I mean, is that is that something that has an in-world meaning? No. Okay. Not that I know um, of. If you are designing a game and you want to have a bird that brings people back to life, may I recommend the mythical phoenix? <laughs> yes. Yes, you. Yes, true. you may. That's a good call. Uh, but here, the respawn eagle is something that you buy out of the sassy vending machine, and you have to buy them in advance. And then you go to a you you make your way across the Zelda style level, uh, and you find one of the. Every level seems to be open to you from the beginning, so you can't really. Um, you have to kind of trial and, and error your way into figuring out which one to go to next. And then once you've figured out a level to go to, you bash your brains against it. If you're me, you bash your brains against it endlessly until I've, I've only beaten one boss in this so far, apart from the intro level that also I think had a boss. Um, so I'm not honestly all that far into it. Um, I have to say of, of the games that I played for this week, the best one is probably Duck Souls. But the one that I am compelled to play because I don't get it, it's so it's it's weird is this game. It's a weird game. Uh, and I am I find it very compelling. I, I do also want to mention one couple of other a couple of other things about it that I thought were sort of interesting. Uh, it doesn't wear this on its sleeve, but it's developed by one of the guys who works for uh, limited run games. Hmm. They they have there's this sort of weird aspect to it where uh, limited run games is the publisher. If you look at it like on the Switch eShop, they published the game. Um, and there have been physical editions of this game. There's actually some like controversy around that because uh, there is a physical version of this game that was produced but never sold 
not an official limited run games release. What seems to have happened was that the the guy works for limited run games, so he knows how to get a physical copy of a game produced, did, but never sold it apart from direct sales to presumably his friends or something like that. And uh, and that makes it, this may, th- this is the PS4 version. I don't think there's been a physical copy of the Switch version. So presumably this is the rarest game ever on the PlayStation 4 because it's a, it, it was it's not available for download on the PlayStation 4 it is on the Switch you can't download this game on the PS4 and you could only get an official like like a burned like a like a, a copy of this game on a disc directly from the guy so this may potentially be the rarest physical PlayStation 4 game which makes it interesting <laughs> from a collector's standpoint but i don't know just a weird weird damn thing if anybody has uh i don't know like knows how like i don't know what to do next in this game right now so i'm re- and i'm really i really want to play more of it because i find it weirdly compelling if if anybody can tell me how to get good at uh revenge of the bird king please reach out because right now i'm finding this game like bizarrely frustrating compelling and 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 weird i i, I need i need help getting this out of my brain thank you that's all i have to say about revenge of the bird king just tap to flap yes hmm. so now that I've had slightly gotten that out of my system, thank you so much for listening to the short game. This has been our Bird Week episode for 2020. And uh, who knows when the next Bird Week will be? Uh, hopefully it will be soon. Uh, it will happen the next time that we have enough bird games to talk about. So listeners, if you know of a good game that features birds prominently, ideally ones in which you play as a bird, uh, but not necessarily, just whatever Go you think Go on IFDB and tag them, bird protagonist. Yes, please do that. Yes. And then also get in touch with us, because we are always collecting these games to do another bird week. We had toyed briefly with the idea of doing a crab week, but we had a hard time getting together enough games. It seems like birds are just the thing. There's enough bird games. We haven't come up with anything else. So bird week forever, baby. If you uh, If you like the show, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash the short game where you can uh, for as little as a dollar a month you can support the show uh, we'll get our Im- immense thanks and also you'll become a member of our discord community where we talk mostly about bird games uh, and occasionally we also talk about other video games too uh, and if you are uh, enjoying all the bird content and you would like some more uh, I uh, just launched a new series over at bird notes it's uh, so good guys the second season of Sound Escapes with host Gordon Hempton, the sound tracker. Each episode is a beautiful, rich soundscape taking you to different places around the planet where you'll get a little bit of context and story from Gordon about where he recorded these and why uh, these are important places to be hearing in this particular moment uh, where many of us are sheltering in place uh, and really cooped up inside, um, (laughs) then these are hopefully ways to really broaden the world kind of that we are, are living in. And uh, it's been fun to make and I'm really excited to have that out uh, where people can finally listen to it. Uh, And yeah, you should go check that out. It is sound escapes. uh, If you search for that, Bird Note presents Sound Escapes on uh, your podcast app. 
then uh, you'll find it or birdnote.org slash soundescapes. That's so great. I am definitely going to have a link to that in the show notes if anybody is interested in listening to that. I, I can definitely imagine that being a good vibe for right now. It's so comforting. It's great. It's perfect to put on uh, while you're working just to relax a little to that or to even just just sit around and listen to it. Uh, They are very pretty. Um, So you can also, of course, find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our contact form. That's a great way to let us know about the bird games that you are playing. Uh, And uh, of course, you can also find us on your podcast app of choice. And we always appreciate uh, ratings, reviews, and all of those things. Uh, Tell a friend, do all of the things to let them know about this bird podcast that occasionally covers other types of games as well. So, Laura, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Mark, where can people find you and all of your work on the internet? Uh, Sound Escapes, of course, a very big one, but what what should people search for? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at MC Bramhill. uh, And you can find uh, some of the things that I've made over the years at markbramhill.com. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And I'm Reagan Kelly, of course, and you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. And thank you so much for listening to Bird Week. (laughs) Ka-ka! <laughs> Ka-ka! 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 <laughs>